0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Say Israel is worse than Nazi Germany. Ooh, how Nazi dare you say that? Say that? How dare you say that? Just another college campus across America. Israel is worse than Nazi Germany. What? Why are you surprised? That's just it. You're not. I get it. We often discuss why it is that things happen and we know they're going to happen. Why is it that things happen and people are stunned, but we knew this was going on three days, four days, five days, a week, a month before? How is that possible? I have made the argument repeatedly it is not that we are smarter. It's not that I am smarter. It's that we are more honest. We are more honest about what is happening. And we have always been honest about the fact that the U.S. university system is lousy with Jew haters. Just like the Democratic Party. I repeat myself. I apologize. It is what it is. The party has long hated Israel. You can go back to the DNC. It was, uh, who was the, um, oh gosh, who was the mayor of Los Angeles? Was was it Ragosa? And he was... um, it, it was it was pretty intense. First of all, you may have never heard this. Allow me to share this with you. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find it all at TonyKatz.com. Become a supporter. I'd greatly appreciate it. This is not new. We go back to, what year was this? 2012. Antonio Villaraigosa was the mayor of Los Angeles at the time. And he is there, and he's standing on the stage, and he is so happy. And they're voting, because of course it's a gathering, to change the platform on God and Jerusalem. You may have never heard this before. Follow this.
1: This is a non-debatable motion requiring a two-thirds vote. All of those in favor of suspending the rules, say aye. All those opposed, say no. In the opinion of the chair, there's been a two-thirds affirmative vote to suspend the rules. So the rules get suspended. Governor, would you like to make your motion? Here's the motion. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, This summer I was proud to serve this party as the Platform Drafting Committee
0: Chair. As the chair, I come before you today to discuss two important matters related to our party's national platform. As an ordained United Methodist minister, I am here to attest and affirm that our faith and belief in God is central to the American story and informs the values we've expressed in our party's platform. By the way, this was only a decade ago. A decade ago, there was a belief in God in the Democratic Party. True story. I was there. I I wasn't a Democrat, but, you know, they told tale. In addition, President Obama recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and our party's platform should as well. Mr. Chairman, I have submitted my amendment in writing, and I believe it is being projected on the screen for the delegates to see. I move adoption of the amendment as submitted and shown to the delegates. So it's two things. God, Jerusalem is capital that's what's about to get voted on by all these people in the arena a motion has been made is
1: there a second is there any further discussion hearing none the matter requires a two-thirds vote in the affirmative all those delegates in favor say aye all those delegates opposed say no in the opinion of the
0: let me do that again he has to do it again because the Democratic Party just said we don't think that the capital of Israel's Jerusalem. What are we going to do? C- claim that let Israel exist and it's legitimate—that's not who we are. So, Vera hearing that the vote is uh, quite literally the same, vote in the affirmative.
1: All those delegates in favor say aye. aye. All those delegates opposed. Say no. In the opinion of the. Let me do that again. <laughs>
0: at that moment, Villaragosa had to know he was in trouble. He had to know that this was about to get rough. He is alone on the stage in this massive arena. There's people at the far right and the far left of the stage. It kind of curves back like a horseshoe. He is dead center behind the podium.
1: All of those delegates.
0: In favor, say
1: aye. aye. All those delegates opposed, say no.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! This is 2012, the DNC platform, and they wanted nothing to do with Israel. The best is now. Viorgosa is so flustered. So flustered that somebody from the DNC has to come out to cool him down and, and tell him how to get through this. Listen
1: I um I guess
2: you've got to rule and then you've got to let them do what they're gonna do.
1: Rule. I'll do that one more time. All those delegates in favor say aye. aye. All those delegates opposed say no. Aye. In the opinion of the chair, two-thirds have voted in the affirmative. The motion is adopted and the platform has been amended as shown on the screen. Well, we can't have
0: these people saying that. Let's just pretend that we have the two-thirds and we'll move on. But we know where the party really is. The Democratic Party has been a group of anti-Semites for years. Not every Democrat, that would be insane to say. But as a party, they don't excoriate the Democrats, uh, the, the anti-Semites. As a party, they don't shame the anti-Semites. As a party, they don't try to remove the anti-Semites. They invite them in willingly. And it is not some rogue members, as we just proved going back to 2012, it is the party. Tony, 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 that's not proof of anti-semitism. Oh, Tony. Tony, 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 Tony. Ah. That's just proof of anti-Zionism. Oh. Would you, would you like to explain the difference? Well, sure, Tony. Anti-Semitism means they hate Jews, and that's just terrible. But anti-Zionism means they're opposed to all that Israeli apartheid going on. And that's really bad, and we shouldn't be in favor of that at all. Can you explain to me how Israel is engaged in apartheid? Well, sure I can. They never can. They can't explain anything. They can say things. They can't explain things. There's a difference. They can say all sorts of things. But what they cannot do is explain. They can never explain their position. Israel is a colonizer. What does that mean? They can't. Now. Let's argue that there have been some who have put out a theory and a philosophy out there. Let us then engage with those people about why it is they're wrong. But we have unlimited numbers, pieces of information. We have incredible video out there of people who cannot answer a single question. They don't know why they say what they say. If you actually have college students at Binghamton University saying this, say Israel is worse than Nazi Germany. Who could possibly think that Israel is worse than Nazi Germany? Arabs live throughout Israel. Arabs are in the government throughout Israel. Arabs have businesses throughout Israel. And that hasn't changed. No rational person could ever, 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 ever make that claim. Ever. Instead, I get claims like this. You have Eric Levitt's. I don't know, Eric Levitz. He's with New York Magazine and uh, the, the Intelligencer. And uh, it, they, there's a, a tweet that he's sharing um, that uh, according to members of an international team of forensic pathologists examining the bodies of the victims regarding the Hamas terrorist attacks, Hamas terrorists committed unfathomable atrocities on October 7th charred hands with marks that revealed where the victim's hands were bound behind their backs with metal wire before, well, do you want to hear the rest? Before being burned alive. Asked if they were decapitated, the answer was yes. Although he admits given the circumstances, it is difficult to ascertain whether they were decapitated before or after death, as well as how they were beheaded. That's what the data tells us. Eric Levitz points out that according to this report, which includes corroborating images, Hamas militants tied a parent and child together and burned them alive. He then follows up on it. Why would you follow up on it? He does. Last night, he writes, I asserted that this report indicates that babies were beheaded. This was an overstatement. I should have said that the report established that babies were found headless, a fact that lends plausibility to claims of beheading, but which does not prove them. So you want me to believe Israel is like the Nazis, when it's Hamas who has acted like the Nazis, burned parents and children alive together and you found headless children, you don't know whether it happened before or afterwards, and what you want to make sure of is you don't want to give the opinion that they were cutting off heads while the kids were still alive. That would be just rude. They may have happened after they were dead. We don't really know. And somehow, I'm supposed to believe any claim that these people make about Israel? They can't even admit that Hamas acted in in pure barbarism. Murdering, raping, setting people on fire, and yes, beheading. I'll say it. I meant it. Come after me. I'm not going to worry about whether or not you can handle the truth or not. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about them. Because we know what is. We know it. We see it. We honestly... Discuss the issues. And in honestly discussing the issues, we know that there are those who don't because they refuse to even engage. Rather a talking point than reality. And I've got much more to break down on this subject. But if you want the list of college campus anti Semitism, that is at tonycats.com. This is Tony Katz today. <laughs> So the UAW has got a deal, kind of, maybe, I hope. It is with Ford, and it may mean uh, that GM and Atlantis are right around the corner. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY, eight three three four six eight eight six six nine. 468 I've got so much more in terms of the proving the bigotry of the of the political left, their unwillingness to call things out, their unwillingness to be honest. I, the, the the anti-Semitism subject, it's not going away because the college campuses keep making this a story because people like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar uh, in their no vote the other day keep making this a story. Congressman Andre Carson of Indianapolis sharing in that bigotry, but Thomas Massey also voted no. I will get into all of it, the Republican from Kentucky The UAW deal with Ford would give workers a 25% raise over the course of the contract. This would have top pay to $40 an hour, which somebody did the math. I thought it was $76,000. Somebody did the math better than I did. They uh, clearly took off their shoes and pulled out their abacus and they said it would actually put uh, workers over 80,000. And I said, okay. I'll, I'll believe you. There's no reason why, why I shouldn't. No reason why I shouldn't believe you. I'll, I'll believe you. I, like, I, I, I thought I had the number. I thought I had it all together. Sorry. I'll, I'll find it. I'll give it to you. The question is, is there a deal to be made? With Stellantis and with General Motors, will they buy into this? Sean Fain, who heads up the union, the United Auto Workers, I think has come across like a chump and a jerk. I think he comes across like a guy who clearly got picked last for kickball at all times. When you are wearing an eat the rich t-shirt, I mean, that's just unserious. You don't show that you're for the union. You show that you're a progressive freak child at that moment. I don't think that's very helpful. I think it's helpful if we get a deal and uh, the cars keep getting made in the United States. Current assembly line workers max out at about $32 an hour. So the top will now be 40 And members would receive 11% of that increase upon ratification of, of the contract. It would also shorten the time it takes for production workers to hit that pay level. Instead of eight years, three. Well, that's a nice bit of growth right there. Also, stunningly, cost of living adjustments to protect wages against inflation. That got suspended back in 2009. A COLA cost-of-living adjustment? In any world, that's a huge, huge win. And I, last week, was thinking that this was all going to go south. But as some people smarter than me explained, when you started seeing the closings, uh, a couple of plants, the the, uh, the Ford plant in Louisville and then the, um, I think there was a Solantis plant, and I forget where, Those were the plants with the big money earnings for the car manufacturers. That was the, okay, now we're getting serious here. And you've got the union faithful, the rank and file who are like, other guys are still getting paid and you put us out on strike first. It's been six, seven weeks. Can we get this done already? What the hell is this? We're taking the pain for those guys. Temporary workers will see raises of more than 150% over the life of the contract. They would start at $21 an hour as opposed to 17 Retirees would get uh, more pensions and 401ks. This, I do not know if the UAW signs this. I don't. Because the UAW could argue, this is huge victory. This is, look what we got. Right? Ford will be like, yeah, yeah, we we had to take the hits. The uh, union wanted a a shorter work week. They didn't get that. They wanted to find uh, benefit pensions for all workers. Not going to get that. I don't know who wins. I don't know who loses. Everybody wins. Everybody loses. Everybody gets something. Everybody loses on something and we move on. I just don't know if I believe it's going to happen. If it does happen, you got to assume GM and Stellantis make their deals pretty quick. The operative word is if. This is Tony Katz today.
1: for the Honorable Mike Johnson of the state of Louisiana, having received a majority of the votes cast is duly elected Speaker of the House of
0: Representatives for the 118th Congress. And just like that, there's a speaker. Got done yesterday. We watched it happen, along with the really despicable comments of Hakeem Jeffries, who is a despicable, despicable guy. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Uh, there will be those who argue, see, Matt Gates is a genius. There'll be those who argue Matt Gates is a putz. I think Matt Gates is three quarters of a putz. At least he was on this. No plan? No plan is no plan. Don't tell me this was the plan. You told me the plan was Jim Jordan. Three votes you couldn't get him through. Then you'd had a party that was nominating people like Emmer and Scalise who have conservative voting records, but they weren't good enough. I like Mike Johnson. I won't lie. I said it then, I say it now. I'm not not gonna pretend that I didn't think that I thought this was a good idea. I thought this was a ridiculous idea because there was no plan. I'm also not going to pretend that I'm somehow bothered that Mike Johnson is Speaker. I'm very solid with Mike Johnson, the Speaker. I can't wait to see what happens. I hope it works out great. I want what you want. I want less spending. I want a focused Congress. I want a border that's taken care of. And yes, I want to expel Rashida Tlaib, that Jew-hating bigot, and Ilhan Omar, that Jew-hating bigot, and the people who support the Jew-hating bigots like Congressman Andre Carson of Indianapolis. Gone! But what do we think of Mike Johnson? I spoke with Congresswoman Erin Houchin, of the Indiana 9th District about this earlier today, and I asked her, you know, this is pretty interesting, not that I have any issue with Mike Johnson at all, but this is a guy who's been in Congress for six years, six years, and your speaker. I mean, that's a heck of a game plan. Play it.
2: I don't know that even Mike Johnson um, planned this. Uh, you know, on October 3rd, the House was kind of thrown into chaos, certainly thrown into chaos when Matt Gates and, uh, and eight Republicans uh, joined with 208 Democrats to take out the Speaker of the House. It had never happened before. So we've been in a tumultuous time. Um, but I think we picked the right leader after, after several attempts at, at trying to find a, what we would consider someone that can bring consensus. And Mike Johnson certainly is that man. Uh, you know, he has led the RSC, which is our largest, um, caucus. Um, he's a conservative, uh, Christian. Uh, he, he leads, uh, with his faith and is a constitutional lawyer. And I, I think, you know, after, all that we've been through, um, what the country is going through, he is the, the really the perfect leader for this time. You know, Mike Pence says that a time such as this, and and we are in that time. And Mike Johnson is the right leader, and I was excited to support him as as were my colleagues clearly with unanimous support for him.
0: Talk to me about those votes for Jim Jordan and that decision that that Scalise really couldn't even make it to the floor. These, these are longtime guys, Scalise, longtime in, 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 in leadership. What was the real sticking point regarding both of these men? Let's start with uh, Steve Scalise.
2: So I, I think what you saw there, uh, Tony, honestly being, you know, in the room for all of these votes and, and conference meetings, Um, what it seemed like that people were very upset about what happened to Kevin McCarthy um, and they were just couldn't get there for uh, a Steve Scalise or a Jim Jordan candidacy in that first iteration. Then you saw, um, so there were about 20 to 30 people that just were not moving off of, we're not voting for um, Mr. Scalise. And, and um, unfortunately, you know, and he, he's, He's um, been diagnosed with cancer, and he's an American hero. Uh, But people were just so angry at that moment that I think, you know, had the election been held at a different time, it might have it might have turned out much differently. Then after what happened to Steve Scalise, uh, people were mad about that, and so you saw a different group of about twenty people who were opposed to Jim Jordan. And so in a conference that is only four four uh, a four seat majority, you know. we would struggle to find anyone who had not made at least four people mad at some point in their career. And, and uh, so another, I guess, kudos again to Mike Johnson for, for just having good relationships with everyone and, and uh, being a team player and, and leading with his faith and um, just a very, very good, good person um, that no one could, I mean, who could object to, to, to him knowing him, um, well, the that's, political that's, that's left is down. clearly
0: in the throes of 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 objection, talking to Congresswoman Erin Hounchin, uh, the Ninth District of Indiana. I just got to head a little bit south of, of Indianapolis to 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 find her and and her district. Uh, but this is just it for for people on the outside looking in, it would seem like the conversation would be, wait. Who here can we all stomach? I mean, to, to, not to try and be funny about it, or not to engage in any kind of uh, denigrating a uh, uh, Speaker Johnson. I said on the show I thought it was going to be Mike Johnson or Byron Donalds who would be, you know, appealing to the to the conference. But yeah. why not start from that place? That conversation ever come up?
2: Well, I mean, we we didn't start from that place because those people did not put in their candidacy until this until this most recent round and. When the votes came down for Steve Scalise, it was basically tied, uh, 110 to 99, with eight people who uh, voted for someone else and three people who voted present. So this has been razor thin. Jim Jordan had a similar scenario. Um, uh, there, there's just it was divided. And Tom Emmer came in. Uh, he was one of our nominees, and he had about a, you know a hundred ish. He he got to the majority with about a hundred ish. Uh, 117, I think, votes. So with 222 of us or 221 of us, um, we didn't get the opportunity really to consider Mike Johnson or Byron Donalds until this last iteration um, when we got Tom Emmer. And and he clearly also had a 20 vote, um, 20 to 30 vote problem. So um, excited about Mike Johnson. I know the left uh, does not like him, um, but that makes me love him even more.
0: So here we are, here we are now, the, the past is prologue, as, as they say. You have uh, Speaker Mike Johnson. As a member of this conference, what are you expecting to hit the ground with today as you go to work?
2: Yeah, so um, yesterday we immediately passed a, a resolution condemning Hamas and supporting Israel. Um, and then um, today, uh, and I also filed yesterday the 21st Century Dyslexia Act, um, today, we're taking up some appropes on energy and water and the amendments related uh, to, to the energy and water appropes bill. We had already passed the rule for uh, that out of, um, I'm sorry, we already passed that out of rules committee, which I serve on um, before all of this happened, and we're prepared to do this three weeks ago. So we will have legislation on the floor considering amendments to that, um, that appropes bill
0: the appropriations bills there are 12 of them and one of the things we heard from speaker johnson is that there will be no more omnibus spending uh, there you're going to take up spending bills individually you're a fan of this
2: absolutely yes that is the best transparency for the american people an omnibus you know leads us to throw things into to what is called christmas trees or christmas tree bills and um I think it's easier for the American people to digest in 12 separate bills. The Senate doesn't typically operate this way, but this was a plan that that we started with Speaker McCarthy that has prompted the Senate to start to consider mini buses versus uh, the appropriate bills. But at a minimum, the House of Representatives wants to get out all 12 of our bills um, and have those considered um, individually versus together.
0: And that is something I think we should see, my thanks to Congresswoman Erin Houchin of the Indiana Ninth District. By separating the things out, we actually get to see what's being voted on and who's voting on what, where they actually would be on these uh, omnibus bills. You put this massive thing together, well, there are things I don't like but things we have to have, so I guess I have to vote for it, and therefore it, it allows for more abuses of the system. If you ask me, I'm absolutely in favor of this. I have no issue with this. None. But I do not know as of yet if this is going to lead to less spending. I do not know if we are actually going to be seeing reductions. I don't know yet. We won't know until we see it. So there's no way to comment on whether or not Mike Johnson is going to be able to do the job until he does the job. So I'll wait. I'll wait, but I I, I must be clear. I I have nothing to apologize for. A Plan would have been better. A plan would have been better. Do I think it's the end of times? No, I think that it went on a week too long and did create news stories that were unnecessary for the right, they didn't need this. They did it to themselves. They did it to themselves. And if you say to me, that doesn't matter, it matters. You wanna win elections. In order to win elections and you have a majority, you actually have to, I don't know, focus. Can't focus if you can't choose a speaker and you keep nominating people, no, we'll nominate this one, no, we'll do this one, no, that one doesn't have the votes, no, we'll bring this one on, they lose three times in a row, losing more votes each time, okay, we'll try this one, no, that one doesn't get to the floor. Doesn't play well. But as we often discuss here, the political left always overplays their hand. And the very despicable um, Hakeem Jeffries did that yesterday. This was the leader of the Democratic Party in this really awful speech he gave, introducing Mike Johnson. He's there standing at, at the speaker's podium and he is just a rambling, you Republicans are terrible mess. And then he says this, we faced adversity. sorry, let me try that again. And then he says this, we faced adversity on September 11th, 2001, when the towers and the Pentagon were unexpectedly struck, killing thousands of lives. In an instant, we faced adversity right here in the House of Representatives when on January 6, 2021, a violent mob of insurrectionists incited by some in this chamber overran the House floor as part of an effort to halt the peaceful transfer of power. He's just gross. There's no end to the grossness. There's no end to the, to, the, to the despicableness. None. I'll get into more of it coming up in, in, in a little bit. I only hope for good things with Mike Johnson. I really do. I only hope the spending gets under control, as I've been desiring for a decade. I only hope that there is some strength, and there is some conviction, and there is some pushback, and there is some fight, and there is victory on the things that need victory. I hope. Now, let's see. I'm Tony Katz.
1: On the battlefield, so that humanitarian assistance can get in to, to people that need it, or they, the people, can get out of that area in, in, in relative safety. That's what a humanitarian pause is, and we think it's a, an idea worth exploring. Thank you.
0: That's John Kirby saying in the White House briefing that Israel should think of a strategic pause, which is to say cease fire. Man, you, if, if you think that, that this Biden administration is pro-Israel, well, that's that's just precious. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Sadly, I've got more on this subject. It's so- it sucks so much to have to break this down. But if I don't, I'm not doing the job. This comes from so many angles and in so many ways, it's insane. I, I will get to more of it. Uh, it is Jamal Bowman who gets charged. That's right. The Democrat progressive from... New York got charged with pulling the fire alarm. Who knew it could even happen? Not me. I, for one, am very surprised. Charged with pulling the fire alarm, it's just a misdemeanor. I don't know why it's just a misdemeanor, but it is. He could get up to six months in prison. He's not going to get six months in prison. He has entered into an agreement with the D.C. Attorney General... The charge is withdrawn in three months if he issues a formal apology to Capitol Police and pays a $1,000 fine. Pulled a fire alarm to stop Congress from uh, engaging debate and voting on legislation. Put people's lives at risk. Claims that he was in a panic. He didn't realize, he thought he was opening the door. He didn't realize he was, pulling a fire alarm. Does anyone? Of course no one believes that. No one should believe that. There's nothing there uh, to believe. The beauty of being on the political left is you can get away with anything. That's what it's showing. But sometimes the political left is forced to deal with a reckoning. This brings us to the governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy. The governor of New Jersey is very, very unhappy. Why is he very unhappy? Because it's being reported that a school district, the South Orange Maplewood School District, believes ending Halloween celebrations will help them move forward in building equity, fostering inclusion, and building a sense of belonging throughout the schools. So they've canceled Halloween celebrations during school hours to foster inclusion, to which Governor Phil Murphy states on X twitter seriously, we can't let kids celebrate Halloween? Give me a break. These are your people, Governor. These are your leftist people. This is what they do. Don't you get that DEI is is about creating hate, about creating shame, about taking away opportunity, about dividing people? It's about misery and implementing the misery? No value comes from DEI. No one's life is better from DEI. No DEI office has made anything better for anyone except themselves, making some sweet cash. This is you! Stand up to this stuff and say, this DEI stuff is nonsense. You have, by the way, a state office uh, under the governor's office for DEI. Maybe abolish that. Show everybody how ridiculous it is and then eat candy. I'm Tony Katz.